live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the Press Box. Wait a minute. He's still in the league? With Granny and Bischoff. You don't fight with honor. No. He did. Warts and all. Let's start the up. All right, here we go. I like that open. That was nice. Is that new? That was literally the first open we ever had. Really? Yes. And it was not the one I wanted to play. Oh. I wanted to play the one where you say, uh, we'll take all the money you'll give us. Okay. Or something along, <laughs> something to that effect. But, yeah. I got a fun stat for you that Sunday Night Football on NBC tweeted out. With the Jags and Chiefs playing each other, it guarantees that either the Chiefs or the Jags will have appeared in every AFC championship game since 2017. <laughs> the Jags have been to one of those. <laughs> Wasn't that the game where they were like took a knee with like a minute 13 left in the half before going to halftime and Tom Brady then? That's how they won games, Jerry. <laughs> okay. They had Blake Bortles at quarterback. They were out there to win 13 to 10 how things happen around here but yes they did end up losing to the patriots uh despite i think leading at halftime by four the first bite who will be the star of the nfl weekend you saw a cool stat on uh, joe burrow didn't know this 13 and 2 when an underdog ats when an underdog by three plus and he's an underdog i think the number's five so that says something about Joe Burrow. Well, 13 and 2 against the spread that's doesn't why mean they're going to win. Him. Doesn't mean he won't. I know. Is it going to be Joe Burrow then? I think it's going to be Joe Burrow. All right. I do think it's going to be Joe Burrow. Going to beat the Bills. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling it because they're, you know, they're my Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> For every other week last yes, season. Exactly. I need to change the poll. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> well, yeah. someone gave me Josh Allen this morning. I, I didn't get to pick that. So, no, don't change the poll. Keep him up there. I just think the Cincinnati Bengals are going to win. Bengals-Bills is the game I genuinely don't have any idea who wins. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have a clue who wins hmm. that game. I feel no, like I those, are, those are both. Of all of them, those are that one you can look at and have more doubts either way. Yeah, those those to me, it's like, oh yeah, those are the same team. Obviously, they're different, but those are the same level of team. It's the it's the matchup where both teams have, uh, I think, top five offenses by EPA and top ten defenses. Yeah, by EPA, there's not another matchup that has teams that are as close by pretty much most uh, efficiency stats in the NFL. That one, I don't know. Could be Joe Burrow has a big day. Could be Josh Allen. Could be both of them have a big day. Hell, they could both suck like they did last yeah. weekend. I I don't know. Because both, they're going up against good defenses on either side. I uh, really, really want to say Trevor Lawrence. You want to say it. So, Kansas City's pass defense by EPA, Poop 16th emoji. in the league. Dead average. Jacksonville's pass offense by EPA, 6th in the league. Pretty good. Um, I, I test wise, I felt like I watched the Chiefs a handful of times in the second half of the season where they just didn't really look that no, good. They no. did not look like the Kansas City Chiefs. But they were the Chiefs and they still won the game. Still won, yeah. And, but if you go and you look at pretty much all efficiency metrics, their passing offense is the best in the league and one of like the 10 best in the history of the sport. And it's like, oh, okay. So they're still really good. But it just, from an eye test standpoint, it just seemed like they were. 
cruising through so many games and it was like, yeah, we'll be good for a little bit and that'll be just enough. Yeah. And it, the whole time I was like, are they going to lose in the playoffs because of this? Or are they going to be like, oh, it's the playoffs. We're going to dominate now. So I test wise, there's reason for me to doubt the Chiefs. But the Chiefs and the Jags already played each other this year. And you know who wasn't good in that game? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. He uh, threw it 40 times for 259 yards. And Jacksonville scored 17 points despite getting three Kansas City turnovers. And I tell you, Kansas City's pass defense is 16th in EPA. But Jacksonville's is 17th. And the Chiefs passing offense was first. Yeah. So if there's any reason for me to think, oh, Trevor Lawrence is going to have a big day against Kansas City's defense. I also have to think Patrick Mahomes is going to have an even bigger day against Jacksonville's defense. I think Trevor Lawrence plays well. I think Jacksonville puts up points. I just don't think they can outscore Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So my answer to who the star of the weekend is going to be Jalen Hurts. There is one team left in the playoffs that has a genuinely bad defense, and it's the New York York Giants, Giants. right? Um, San Francisco, Dallas, and Philly all have like really phenomenal defenses. Buffalo and Cincinnati are top 10 defenses. Jacksonville and Kansas City are about average defenses. The New York Giants this year, EPA, against the pass 20th, against the run 30th. Like they are, this is a bad D. De- this is a Raiders level defense. Oh, this is a Raiders a level defense. It's a Friday and you're saying crazy stuff. <laughs> Raiders level defense that is in the divisional round of the playoffs. I think the Eagles just dominate uh, New York's defense. I think Jalen Hurts has a big day. I think that's the star of the weekend. He's the one we walk away from saying, wow, he was phenomenal. And a lot of it has to do with he's the only quarterback getting to play a truly bad defense this late in the season. All right. I don't think he's going to be the star of the weekend because I think he could lose. But I do think Brock Purdy's going to struggle against Dallas's defense. But does it matter if he's going to struggle against Dallas's defense, given all the weapons he has and also given his defense against Dak Prescott? So, all right, I'm going to give you some more EPA stats. The Cowboys number two in defensive EPA this year. Phenomenal defense. These are the ranks of the teams that Brock Purdy has played just defensively 24th, 11th, 26th, 5th, 30th, 20th, and 26th again, because they played the Seahawks last week in the playoffs. Brock Purdy has played one good defense the entire time. Who's the quarterback, the Washington commanders who do not have a quarterback who do not have an offense to speak of. They've only played one good defense since Purdy took over. I genuinely expect the Dallas Cowboys defense to have a very good game. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think the Cowboys defense is going to give them a legitimate chance to win. The problem, the number one defense by EPA is the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And we have seen bad Dak Prescott. We have seen lead the league in interceptions despite playing, what did he play, 12 games this year? Played 12 and had 15. Lead the league in interceptions despite missing uh, like a quarter of the season. Dak Prescott. I think there is blowout potential for the 49ers. I think there is, oh, Dak had three turnovers in this game and the Cowboys scored 10 points and lost the game 30 to 10. But what I think happens, both teams defensively are that that's the, that's what the ultimate story is. Both teams defenses are really good and it's a fairly low scoring game. 
that's decided by who scores the last touchdown or something in the final four minutes of the game. I could see Brock Purdy passing for sub 125 yards and somehow the 49ers winning by like 15 just because this game is stupid. I mean, that's what they've done with Jimmy Garoppolo a lot in playoff games. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he he, he was, he was there. I don't think they'll get 30. I don't think either team does either. I don't think they'll get 30. I think we're looking at like a 2017 final. Unless Dak Prescott just decides, yeah, I'm turning it over four times. Dak Prescott against the Commanders a couple weeks ago. Which could happen, but I think Dak will be fine. I don't think he's going to have a great game by any means, but I think he'll be fine. I don't think we're looking back saying, oh, Dak had one of the worst playoff performances ever. We We might look back and say, oh, Dak wasn't good enough. But I don't think we're looking back saying he has one of the worst performances of all time. I just have a strong desire to make it like a, can we make it a house rule that instead of calling him Dak, can we call him Dakota? <laughs> Dakota Prescott? Yeah, Dakota, I think Dakota Prescott has a bad game. Why do I like both of those names, by the way. Well, you're white. That's a good point. That is fair. <laughs> I like Dakota. We'll just keep calling him Dakota Prescott. But Dak said, well, no, we can't do that because he's a one-name guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. You just say Dak and you know who it is. That is fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, not even a lot of the. Yeah. He's a a one name, first name guy, right? Like, Tom Brady's not a first name one name guy. He's Brady. He's Brady. He's Brady. Right. But Dak's a one name. Like, how many quarterbacks are just first name you know who we're talking about? Dak and Lamar? Tua? That's because we can't pronounce his last name. Yeah, that's, yeah. We can can all (laughs) all nail Tua. (laughs) It's only three letters. Wait, oh, we, yeah, we can't. He's a he's a one name guy, so he's got to be there. All right, um, I already gave my answer to this. Who's the one seed most likely to lose? Yeah, I think it'd have to be Kansas City. Yeah, because I don't think Philly's going to lose. Right, but I also yeah. don't, I don't think Kansas City's lose. Yes. But most likely, yeah, yeah, it'd have to be Kansas City. I, I will, don't think either one is, but I will say the one thing that is in Andy Reid's favor is he's exceptional off of a bye. I think he's like lost one game in all of his years coaching coming off a bye week. And he's three and oh in the playoffs against former assistant coaches. And I, I, he's 16 and eight overall against former coaches. And for some reason he couldn't beat McDermott. McDermott was like the guy who like has half of those wins against Andy Reid. He just beat him in the playoffs last year. Yeah, I know. Got the ball in overtime. So you have to pick someone, Buffalo or Cincinnati. You have to. I'm going Cincinnati only because I watched them beat the ever living piss out of the Chiefs. And I was like, this team is this team is scary. I'll go, I'll go Buffalo. All right. I'll say Buffalo wins. They're at home. That's the one I Whatever. So here, here's who I got winning the, the four games. Kansas City and Philly, Buffalo, and the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Kansas City, Philly, Cincinnati. <sighs> Can I do it? You're yelling at Danny yesterday Can for I betting do? against the That's Cowboys. That's true. You know what? That's true. Cowboys. I'm, I, 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 <laughs> I'm glad I bullied you into that. I mean, like I, 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 uh, I'm going to say that because as a fellow Cowboy fan, Danny... The first thing he did, the first thing he did, the Jenner did, was bet against him when he got the number four. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what kind of fan are you? I uh, think it's very clear. Danny is a fan of sports betting first. Over his favorite teams. And then his favorite well, teams of Washington minus the Commanders plus the Cowboys. I will say, in Danny's defense, if I was a Cowboys fan for as long as he's been, 
it makes sense to prioritize betting over them winning because they're not going to do that based on empirical evidence. You could be a fan of so many worse teams. Uh, They've r- been fine. They just right. haven't won the Super Bowl in 30 years or whatever it's been. Except that you're being a fan of the team that's always going to be on Monday Night Football, always going to be on Sunday Night Football, and always going to be like, God, how did they How did they lose to the Washington racial slurs? That's fine. It's better than being a Lions uh, fan. I got all right. So I'm going Chiefs, Bengals, 49ers, and Giants. Oh. I think the Eagles are the better team, but I think that Jalen Hurts is hurt. Okay. That would be an issue if he's actually hurt. And uh, I know he's still my boy. I don't think Gardner's up for this. I don't think Gardner's going to play a snap. Uh, Unless Jalen Hurts has something snap in half. If Jalen Hurts is just slightly bothered, he's going to play. They're not going to run Gardner Minshew out there because Hurts is at 85%. But the whole premise of Hurts is, okay, now you run. Yeah, even and if he can't if, run very well, they're not putting Gardner Minshew in unless Hurt, unless Hurts can't play. Period. Yeah, but he him running increases the likelihood of Gardner Minshew making a an appearance due to uh oh, hurt guy got more hurt. Nah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Coming up next, you know who's not fine? Jack Eichel. Jack just hasn't had been the same driving force for us. He was at the start of the year on both ends of the ice. Um, so expectations are. are not being met from Jack, um, assessing his play. Um, he, he needs to be better for us, uh, you know, especially we're, we're down a few guys that create offense for us. So he needs to be one of the drivers. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Golden Knights lost last night to the Detroit Red Wings. Um, by the way, they've lost three in a row. Some silver lining for you because I'm always here to bring you positivity. I'm actually a little impressed that this is the longest losing streak of the season. Yeah, three games when there's right. 82. Yeah, usually you the season. find a funk somewhere like, along the way. Because I, the find Golden Knights, funk? the Golden Knights funk. the Golden Knights haven't <laughs> been that good recently. And I think part of the reason they've been able to like stay in first, even though granted technically they're behind Seattle right now, is because they never do lose three in a row. Right? They might lose two, but then they always right. come back and win another one win or like two more, two or three, four yeah. in a row. So losing three in a row, not great, but it's pretty good that that's only the longest losing streak of the season. They are 2-4-0 during the seven-game homestand, and they play one more on Saturday against Washington. They get seven in a row at home, and they might walk out of there with just two wins, wins. which is not very good. But you heard Bruce Cassidy coming in. Bruce Cassidy uh, said last night that they have too many passengers, not enough drivers, and Jack Eichel is the main guy being uh, called out there. He should be driving. He gonna do anything? Well, when's Mark Stone coming back? <laughs> He's got a back injury, so <laughs> good question. Do you? Uh, he needs to talk to whoever Phil Kessel talks to, where because Phil Kessel always plays. No, he doesn't. I, I think you're a hunt, Jared. You had one of the best takes in the history of hockey. Phil Kessel never misses a game because Phil Kessel doesn't try hard sometimes. Like, so he's so he's rested. Like the yeah. whole the whole let's play defense thing. No thanks. Nah. Like, ah, you want me to hit some? No, thanks. I, you I want think me to throw all... my back out in order to try to stop this puck? <laughs> I think you're 100% right. Maybe it wasn't like that 10 years ago for Kessel, but current Kessel, yeah, how's he still playing? Oh, yeah, he just is skating around sometimes. 
You think the difference between this is that uh, the cliche has always been Eichel's their best player and the guy with the bad back's their best player? Guy with the bad back probably is their best player. Yeah. Most well, important I've, player. Most Okay, most important yeah. player for sure. Obviously, that's, we're seeing that more and more as he's out. So there, there's a few concerning stats here. Um, first off, Jack Eichel has three shots on goal over the last three games. Stone's been out three games. Three shots on goal in the last three games. He had two last night. He does have a point because he got an assist when he threw it off of William Carlson's skate last night and it went into the net. Pretty certain Eichel was trying to pass it to Chandler Stevenson and hit his own teammate, but it went in the net and he gets an assist for that. But probably the more concerning one, at five on five, since Stone has been out, when Jack Eichel's on the ice, the Golden Knights have been outscored four to nothing. And their expected goal rate is only 26%. Basically, when Eichel's been on the ice the last three games, he's the worst player in the NHL. Which like, for a top-line center is not uh, not good. Right. Like, we, we've talked about this. You don't have Mark Stone. Jack Eichel's out there. You're not expecting Jack Eichel to have the best line in the NHL when he's playing with uh, Nick Waugh or Paul Cotter or Michael Amadio or Phil Kessel or even Chandler Stevenson, right? You're not expecting that to be, oh, this is one of the best lines in hockey. But you do expect it to be an above-average line. You do expect it to be a, a good line when Jack Eichel's out there. And he's been one of the worst players in the NHL by expected rate stats in the last three games. That's not, that is not even close to good enough, right? Like Bruce Cassidy says they've got too many passengers and not enough drivers. I don't know. If, I don't even know if Kessel's on a passenger. He's not even on the bus. He's being dragged behind the bus. Like his backpack got caught in the tire or something <laughs> like he it's been atrocious. It's, it's not just been, Oh, he's sort of slightly underperforming when he's out there. The golden Knights do nothing. And that's not even close to good enough. And can it go from, hey, you get nothing with Jack Eichel to, oh, he's a good player again? Yeah, when Mark Stone comes back and he <laughs> plays with better players. Yes, yes, you can. So here's my main question when we're like evaluating or when we're talking about Jack Eichel right now. He's one of the highest paid players on this team. The Golden Knights gave up Alex Tuck and a whole bunch of assets to get Jack Eichel. He's one of the cornerstone players for the next however long they keep him around. Is he going to be underwhelming this entire time unless he plays with yeah, a Marstone-level player? Yeah. Like, well, is it, the entire time for the next eight years he's on the ice, I don't know, because we can't predict on who's going to be with him. I mean, obviously, that's a long time. He's locked up for a long time. But in the immediacy of the moment, it sure seems like if he's not playing with great players, he struggles. Because... The way this roster was built, part of this is on the front office too. The way the roster was built, the Golden Knights have a lot of high-end talent and high-paid talent, right? Eichel, Stone, Petrangelo, Theodore, the Misfit line. They, they've got a lot of the high-end talent. But we came into the year talking about, well, what the hell does their bottom six look like? Mm -hmm. What does what this third and fourth line look like? Who you know Who is going to step up? on the third and fourth line when they're healthy and who's going to step up on the third and fourth line when they inevitably have some injuries. Now they've had more injuries than I think anybody expected again, but who's going to step up on the third and fourth line outside of the, you know, six good forwards, who else is any good. And when you build a roster that way, when you have like, we've got six good forwards and then some depth guys, if that those six good forwards, have to carry the depth guys. 
those six good forwards, when it's like, hey, Eichel, we're missing Mark Stone, you're playing with Phil Kessel, you're playing with Paul Cotter, you're playing with Nick Waugh. Amadio. You have, you, you have to carry those guys. Based on the way the roster's built, Eichel has to be able to carry those guys. And he very clearly is not doing that recently. And it might be a fair question to ask, is he going to be able to do that this season? Is Jack Eichel going to be able to carry some lesser players? Or is Jack Eichel effectively Chandler Stevenson? Where when you play him with other good players, oh, he's great. He's, he's great. phenomenal. You're right. Exactly. But when you at like when you ask Chandler Stevenson, hey, go center the third line with Amadio and Cotter or whatever, right. you're not getting anything no. from that. But when you put Stevenson with Stone and Eichel, he's a goal scorer, right? He's a he produces. Is Eichel just a more expensive Chandler Stevenson right now? He's playing that way. Yeah, I mean, he he needs he needs high end wingers uh, to be any good at this point. Now, small sample size, right? Three games, yes, small yes. sample size. So I fully expect he could come at some on point. Washington. He could come against Washington and, and score two goals, right. and no matter who he's playing with, I fully expect that to happen at some point in the near future. I guess they've got like a five day break coming shortly, but I fully expect there to be a big Jack Eichel game soon because the guy's good. But if you're gonna play. 10, 20, 30 games without Mark Stone, you need Jack Eichel to be good in, you know, 75% of those right. games. He can't be good in 25% or whatever that number ends up being. He's got to be awesome in the majority of those games. Otherwise, he's Chandler Stevenson, but getting paid a lot more, which isn't very good. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to point out from that game against uh, Detroit, Red Wings scored a power play goal. And big reason why they scored the power play goal is there was a loose puck. Riley Smith went for it. Riley Smith, if he gets to that puck, has a breakaway. Riley he Smith, leads the league in shorties. League leader in shorthanded goals. But Riley Smith did not get to that puck in time, and he put himself out of position, and Detroit effectively had a five-on-three while Smith had to try to get back, and they scored on a one-timer. As good as he's been creating shorthanded opportunities... They got burned on it last night. They gave up a power play goal largely because Riley Smith tried okay, to I jump don't one. Terribly mind him trying it. I don't either because they can't score at the moment. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, he's, he's so good at he's so yes. good at that one skill in terms of shorthanded. Like if this was a team that was sort of the the scoring was fine and defensively, you know, or the power play was just they kept giving up goals, then you'd be like, all right, maybe don't take your chances. But when you kind of can't score, yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, go for it. Take your chance. Try to get your breakaway, a shorthanded breakaway, because he's been really good at that, or at least getting two-on-ones and scoring that way. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Ben Brown joins the show. He's the only guest who says, have a good show. Wow, he's a data scientist? I guess he's slumming. PFF's Ben Brown joins Grady and Bischoff on the press box. Good morning, Ben. Hey, Ben. That is that was quite the intro. I didn't know I was the only guest that said have a great show. I was just trying to no, spread the Minnesota nice hospitality, yes. I guess. So. And and we have had multiple Minnesotans on the show, yes. and I still think you're the only right. one that says have a good show. So you are above gotta, and beyond Minnesotan. I might have to I might have to come up with a new tagline after taking a little bit of heat for that. I don't know <laughs> for sure. We'll see if I change my ways or not. Jared but. is shaking his head furiously. He uh, <laughs> d- does not think he's taking a shot at you. He thinks it's genuinely nice of you. 
There we go. Okay, I can as long as Jared. If it was Jared behind it, then I definitely get the I, I get the sentiment a lot more. I would say so. I definitely appreciate that from Jared. I also implied that you're too smart to be talking to us. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> uh, ben, I, do you have a favorite? Prop? I mean, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that that can't be true either. I think it's uh, you know uh, it's definitely my pleasure to be able to t- chat with any uh, with you guys every single week, especially in Las Vegas, because I get to. You know, live vicariously through uh, all the great things you guys can do as well. So, all right, do you have a favorite prop for this weekend? I do. I do. So, I, I was talking a little bit about this with Jared offline, but I, I think the narrative on the Bengals potentially being exposed because of their offensive line is maybe just a little bit overstated in the betting market. I also think like the matchup with T. Higgins versus Dane Jackson is kind of going to be the key. I would say to the Bengals having some offensive success. So I do think T. Higgins to score a touchdown and to go over his prop number, his reception prop number, uh, are some of my favorite spots. I do think that we see Tredavious White kind of lock up Jamar Chase, but I do think they're going to have to win that you know, secondary receiving option with T. Higgins, and I think he's very much, I would say, uh, going to be ready to do that. So T. Higgins, anytime touchdown scorer, uh, over reception prop as well, uh, I, I think those are my two favorite player prop bets here coming up on Sunday. We asked Degenerate Dan yesterday, are there any Maher props in terms of missing extra points? I, there's got to be some. I know I, I know all the better, or the book tweeted out, you know, his is over 2.5 extra points or something cost, you know, like 98% of better. So I'm assuming that's going to completely shift uh, to the under at this point. But I think he's back. They, they, they've instilled some confidence in him, bringing in just a little bit of competition, but not enough to actually take his job. So uh, I think we might have a get right game for Brett Maher, and I think taking the over on his, you know, extra point scoring is probably the best approach I would say coming up here on Sunday. The Cowboys defense is uh, likely to be the best defense Brock Purdy has faced since taking over as a starting quarterback. D- does that factor into you? Do you use that uh, to bet on this Cowboys 49ers game? Yeah, I definitely do, and I, and I know we kind of talked last week, and we thought, you know. Specifically, like the, the, the pass rush situation for the Cowboys could very much be the spot where they kind of won that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, although, you know, for all intents and purposes, that was in a lot of ways what dictated Tampa Bay struggling so much, like I kind of think that's going to be, you know, a, a similar narrative. My one concern is that I think the Cowboys, and kind of like you said, they are probably the number one defense in football, but they very much, I would say, kind of match up well against teams that have a prototypical number one wide receiver, right? This would be a team like, in a lot of ways, like the Las Vegas Raiders or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have that guy like Mike Evans, that guy like Devontae Adams, that that, that Trayvon Diggs can kind of shadow, and, and they don't really have a ton of concerns outside of those two guys or that, or that one main guy. Of course, the 49ers don't have that set up offensively, right? They very much have, you know, five or six guys that can definitely make plays after the catch, and I think that, you know, Trayvon Diggs, trailing a guy like Brandon Ayuk is very much going to open up spots for Debo Samuel, especially underneath. So although I do very much like the Dallas Cowboys defense, I'm a little bit concerned about this particular matchup with San Francisco because I'm not sure, you know, if they're going to be capable of, you know, making Brock Purdy kind of get through that progression and get to his third or fourth read option, um, you know, on certain passing downs in those situations. I do think guys like Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey are going to be fairly wide open, I would say, underneath. And if they can kind of make plays after the catch, 
we might not need to see, you know, that that shining game from Brock Purdy in order for the San Francisco 49ers to win this game. So uh, I very much think that it's going to be, you know, that's going to be the way that San Francisco can potentially win. Then the question becomes, you know, how good can Dak Prescott be in potentially winning this game for Dallas, even if they don't have the dominant defensive performance? So I think he's capable of it. I think we saw him have a really good game last week and in very much what was needed to be a rebound spot. So I am definitely leaning Dallas in this particular matchup, but um, I, I very much think, you know, defensively there are valid concerns for how they're going to match up against this 49ers offense. Oh, we said it earlier, Joe Burrow, when he's a three-and-a-half-point dog, is about 13-2 and two against the spread. He's five-and-a-half this week. Uh, is there anything to that? Um, I think, you know, obviously he's performed above expectation on every, you know, every conceivable spread number this year. I think they're like 12 and 5 against the spread this year. Very much we're kind of living in that range last year as well. So in some ways, like the market just doesn't seem to be overreacting to how good this Bengals offense can potentially be. I did mention this previously. I do think a lot of the line movement probably in the direction of the Bills is very much driven by the Bengals injury situation on their along their offensive line. But We've seen, you know, outside of a few games to start the season, Joe Burrow's kind of been able to navigate the quick, the quick passing game type situations, negate certain pressure areas, and kind of move around in the pocket and be able to buy enough time for his receivers to get open. So I don't think it swings things dramatically in the Buffalo Bills' favor because of the offensive line concerns because they really haven't had, I would say, kind of the dominant pass rush that they did have with Von Miller in the fold. So. If a guy like Gregory Russo doesn't emerge with a pretty dramatic splash type game here, I very much think the Bengals are the correct side on not only the spread, you know, but also like the money line that's getting up to you know the the plus two hundred range, you know, paying two to one on that bet. Uh, I do think the Bengals are very much, I would say, the correct side in this match, but very much, I would say, a live dog to potentially win this game outright. Ben Brown with us from Pro Football Focus, so you'll you'll like this uh, comparison. The Bengals, the last two years in the playoffs, are just the 2022 Minnesota Vikings because yeah. <laughs> every win they have is by seven or less in the postseason. And it doesn't matter if they play like a uh, kind of average Raiders team last year, an overrated Tennessee team last year, Kansas City last year, or this year when it's uh, the Ravens with a backup quarterback, they always only win by seven or less. They're basically the Vikings, but in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely agree with that sentiment. I mean, it's just, it, it is true. And it's, you know, in some ways, that might be another reason why the market is, you know, overly high on them, right? We obviously, they definitely got some high variance swing plays in their game, um, you know, in their games last year in the playoffs. And they very much got that last week against the Baltimore Ravens as well. So I think that might be the reason why, you know, the, the market maybe feels like Joe Burrow and the Bengals are kind of outperforming expectation. But, that, that would be my read on the game. And at some point, kind of like the Vikings last week, I know you guys said I was way too high on them. I do appreciate Jared not mentioning the Vikings whatsoever in that opening segment either and kind of throwing me under the bus for that. But, um, you know, at some point, those sorts of high-variance swing plays can easily swing the opposite direction. And when they do, you know, if that team is not making enough other plays, you know, they're very much, I would say, going to end up on the wrong side of the scoreboard. So we'll see if that happens with the Bengals. But, um, you know, I, I have faith in them, I would say, for at least one more week. Is nine too big a number if Trevor Lawrence plays well? Yeah, very, very much so. And that's, that's kind of been the discussion, I would say, all week, right, is like what, what Trevor Lawrence performance do you buy into, the one in the first half or the one in the second half? And, you know, obviously the, the, and some of the interceptions were very fluky. I think if Sante Samuel did make two really strong 
breaks on balls that in some ways could have also been a little bit of the wide receivers, um, a little bit of a fault of the wide receiver as far as like not cutting him off and actually getting their body in between the balls. So I'm not going to place the entire blame of the first half on him, but he did show in the second half kind of that ceiling type performance. And I think if he is close to that, like the, the Jaguars are very much, I would say, capable of keeping it close with any team and probably capable of beating any team as well, even if Patrick Mahomes has another brilliant game. So I think you kind of buy into the second half of that, and I do think that the Jaguars, you know, at the plus-nine number, do make a lot of sense as long as they do get up for this game, which I think they very much will. So I like the Jaguars at plus-nine. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game, and we also have the, you know, the narrative of the Kansas City Chiefs you know, basically being unwilling, I would say, to kind of put teams away, especially when they are laying, you know, over that touchdown spread type differential. So I think it's going to be another one like that. I think it's going to be a spot where the Chiefs probably win it with a field goal or a touchdown at the end. Uh, but that very much, I would say, is not going to be enough to cover the nine-point spread. So give me the Jaguars. I like them here for one more week. I think they play hard. I think they play well. I think we see Trevor Lawrence kind of at his best once again. Is there anything in the Eagles-Giants game that you are interested in playing? Um, just the Eagles, to be honest with you, I am interested in laying it with them. Um, I just, I think the Giants have kind of run out of gas without a Brian DeBole kind of like masterclass. I think the, the, the Eagles defensively match up really well against the New York Giants. Um, I, I think Hassan Reddick basically is going to like eat Evan Neal's lunch. Evan Neal's like the fifth worst, <laughs> um, you know, pass blocking grade for a tackle this season. So the, the guys that they have along the front four, I think are going to be in Daniel Johnson's face all day. And they kind of have the cornerbacks to the point where they don't need to play a ton of zone coverage uh, and not allow someone to kind of spy on Daniel Jones. So as long as Daniel Jones is not breaking, you know, 15, 20-yard chunk plays with his legs, you know, every possession or something like that, I I think the Eagles are going to get plenty of stops in this one. And I think they have the offense to kind of run away with it. So give me Eagles minus 7.5. I think the Giants train has probably run its course here at this point. Coming from a better Vikings fan, of course. <laughs> well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, he nice went guy to we the... have on. And we got the dot. Uh, no beeps. question. So they definitely went with Lizzo as the uh, backing music because he's a Minnesota Vikings fan. Glad he didn't pick up on that. So Ben Brown. So to recap really quick, he likes the Eagles by a lot, the Chiefs by, by a little, little, the Bengals, and which game am I forgetting? The Cowboys. Cowboys. Cow- oh yeah, he likes the Cowboys too to beat the 49ers. Although he was a little worried about the Cowboys defense being able to shut down McCaffrey, Debo, all of the weapons that, yeah. that the 49ers will throw out there. Purdy, obviously, Brock Purdy throwing uh, on the run, dimes down the field. Usually they're not actually that accurate. There's just a guy with nobody around him. <laughs> Yeah, like you just well, I mean the Raiders taught you how you like how you play Brock Purdy is you just let whatever guy just kind of sleep slip right through the middle and just sort of be like, I'm open. Throw me the ball, Brock. He actually I need to double check this. I think his lowest quarterback rating of the season was against the Raiders. And didn't he still had that one touchdown where a guy just wandered oh, into yeah. the end zone and looked lost. Yeah, it was still like good overall numbers, but his worst quarterback rating. Was against the Las no, Vegas Raiders. Look at Patrick that Graham. Defense. That's right. I told you. The Yale defense. They're just like the Giants who are still playing. Same defenses out there. All right. Coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, the A's coming to Vegas and not having to pay a relocation fee? You know, I, I think maybe that's more of the mindset that uh, when I go out there before the game, just have the, the killer instinct and, uh, you know, 
take it upon yourself. Uh, you know, if it's going to be a pass, uh, most likely it's just going to open up. Um, the D didn't give me a pass, so he gave me the shot, so I should have taken it. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Coming up later here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll have tickets giveaway to go to WWE SmackDown. Also tickets to go see Carlos Santana. So stay tuned for that. So can you guys run me through Stephen Glass and what he did exactly? You guys were talking about this during the break, and my interest is peaked. Uh, it was the New Republic. Oh, okay. It was the New Republic. So it basically... Which is a newspaper. Yes. Unless you're a Star Wars fan. That sounds like something else. Well, ironically, uh, Anakin Skywalker played him in the movie. So basically he was a travel writer and he would get paid to go to all these different places and like write like stories. I, I Was he a travel writer or was he like supposed to be like kind of a, a correspondent for like not war torn, but like, oh, the impoverished people of feature. Like yeah. he did features, he did travel. Yeah. Uh, and he would describe he'd supposed to go to conventions, he would describe in his in his pieces what it was and what it looked like and who was there and uh turned out to be fabricated. Yeah, he, it's, he didn't he, go to any of them. He didn't go, yeah. So he'd be <laughs> he'd be like describing like uh, a Middle Eastern village that had just been bombed by the like you know peacekeeping task force, and he's describing all these like you know these people huddling together in order to do stuff, and it's just like, dude, you just made it up. Never, never even like entered the country. Passport completely blank. He was work from home before work from home was popular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was winning a ton of uh, awards. How, how long did he do it for? Oh, he got away with it for a long time. Like, are we talking like two years, ten years? Because I'm impressed. I'm genuinely impressed. And of course he's winning awards. He can make it all up. Right. Oh, but he can, like people... He can make it as great as he wants it to be. He should be winning awards. He's writing uh, basically novels instead of stories, but everybody thinks they're real. Reading here, it says, The New Republic determined 27 of Glass's 41 stories were either partially or completely fabricated. Uh, so Glass earned a Juris Doctor degree from Georgetown and wrote a novel paralleling, paralleling his own life uh, so 27 of 41. That means he went to 14 places. So he kind of, so he did it enough. Well, I don't know people. if they were all travel. I don't know if they're all travel. Ah, okay. A lot of them were profile pieces on people. And, I, and, I like the, uh, I like the idea that he was lying and he was going enough to keep up the lie that he wasn't going about 60% of the time that he'd go. He'd be like, Oh yeah, of course I went to that one and be like, Hey, look, I took a selfie at this one. So of course I'm going to all these, but 60% of the time he was sitting home. That is a work from home. Uh, he was just ahead of his time. That's all he was. I mean, genuinely, he he wrote things about uh, the Center for Science and Public Interest, and they wrote they sent a letter that was like, yeah, none of he didn't talk oh, to. Is that how he got caught? No, he he basically, from what I could tell, the thing that got him caught was he wrote a um, piece about a 15 year old hacker, and the hacker doesn't exist. Yeah. And once they found, uh, once they found errors in that story, you start looking at other had, ones. Yeah, they started look. They started looking yeah. at other ones. They started following up on other ones and just realized, wait a minute, he's just making it up. And he was considered, you know, a top guy. I mean, he'd win awards. I mean, he was they, they, he was like the hot young journalist, the hot young writer. And uh, because obviously, you make things up, you can make them really good. Right. You can make them like terrific. Right. Uh, and that's what that's what uh, that's what happened. There. Yeah, he. Uh... He 
profiled the CPAC convention of 1997. Yes, and described that was the it, big one. Described it as like a debaucherous spring break for conservatives. And all of the conservatives there like were Newt Gingrich. <laughs> so they were just like, no, that, that, None of no. that happened. We went to bed at eight. Uh, did he did he like get sued and have to pay a bunch of money, or did he just get fired and shamed? From what I can tell, he just got fired. Oh, this guy's a hero then. What? Fired and shamed, and then he actually wrote his own book. What? Oh, and then he writes a book to make more money. What a hero this guy is. Wait, he sent a restitution check to Harper's Magazine for ten thousand dollars. Okay, all right, that hurts a little bit. And he stated he has repaid 200000 to the New Republic, Rolling Stone, Harper's, and the publisher of Policy Review. What, he got nice all of a sudden? He got a conscience all of a sudden? Well, that's typically how people work whenever they get caught doing something. I mean, no, the, no, sorry. That's how people used to work. The, when, you, the way you phrase that makes it sound like he paid it back out of the goodness of his heart. Not like, oh, he was oh, sued into paying them back. Correct. It seems like he just tried to send Harper's Magazine a check for $10,000, and then he stated that he has sent. Oh, he lied about this guy's a yeah. hero. No chance he paid him back. He wrote about one convention where the editor found discrepancies in the story and actually took him. It was for Forbes. It was for uh, Forbes, um, I think, magazine. Took him to where this convention supposedly took place and all that he'd written about and asked him to walk him around and show him where everything happened. And then they realized the uh, convention center was closed during that time. Oh, how much is this Stephen Glass guy sweating when his boss is like, all right, let's go walk oh, around. Oh, yeah, that was that was a good part of the movie where they were walking oh. around. He's like, no, where did this happen? I can't really envision this. Oh, man. I like this guy. <laughs> you would, of course. You tell me there's a movie about this guy, I might go watch this one. It's yeah, got Shattered An- Glass. Yeah, it's got Anakin Skywalker in it. Shattered Glass. That guy acted in more than just Star Wars? I Actually, he did Star Wars and then was, like, done. Well, what's funny is this was the role that everyone said, oh, you can actually see him be a good actor in. <laughs> but not enough people saw it, so now they're just like, yeah, that guy can't act. I like this guy. This guy, I, I hope when he took him back to this convention center, he was like, I got this. I know exactly what I'm going to say for all these stops. It's like, oh, crap, it was closed. I mean, if this guy is really smart, what he'd do is run for a congressional seat because apparently that's you don't have to tell the truth to do that either. That's fair. Quick question. This happened in the 90s? 95 to 98. So do you guys think it would be easier to get away with what Stephen Glass did now because you can look up all the information? Or would it be harder because it's easier to get caught because your bosses can also look up all the information? If you were going to do it for a place like the New York Times or the New Republic, it's definitely harder. But if you just want to be Alex Jones, it's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, genuinely. So we... if you're going to have like a boss with oversight, it's harder. But if you're just going to be your own boss. We genuinely have a U.S. congressman <laughs> who... It's not just that he lied. It's everyone knows he lied, and he's just like, nope, no, I didn't. I think it'd be harder because of the amount of information and the amount of people who read that information throughout social media and Twitter. and All and Twitter would be after him. Because yeah. Twitter goes after you for like one small detail right. you got if wrong. You, if you found, yeah, exactly. You said you, this f- happened at 9, it closed at 8.15. Right. How dare exactly. you, you exactly. fraud. Exactly.